You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to this special edition of Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Scotland has spoken and Scotland has said no to independence. It was a decisive vote in the end, with 55% voting no compared to 45% voting yes on a turnout of 84%. To discuss what happens next, I'm joined by Patrick Smith, Irish Times foreign policy editor, and by Irish Times columnist Paul Gillespie. Paul, what actually happened? The, the, the polls were very, very close. It, was a, it appeared to be a dead heat uh, in, uh, in the days running up to this referendum. And yet the gap was significant. It was a 10% margin. I think the last few days, the last week plus campaigning made a big difference. The, uh, the YouGov um, Sunday Times poll that really galvanised everybody uh, giving a yes majority showed several trends. A uh, trend in um, w- women towards yes, of Labour Party towards yes, of younger people towards yes, uh, etc. Now, I think that... I, I, I think you have to analyse a campaign such as this with such a high uh, engagement uh, chronologically, uh, and I think actions actions matter. I think the um, I think there was a uh, there were that, those swings were reversed. Uh, the turnout of, uh, uh, was proportional uh, to across classes, very uh, very very high, unprecedentedly high, but not not differentially high amongst working class people, for example. So, in so in other words, that the for for the yes side to win, they need to get out a disproportionate number of the working class votes, say in places like Glasgow. Yes, they uh, yes, and and they needed to to copper fasten uh, the arguments that they had won coming into the final stage of the campaign, which they didn't do. So uh, when you say that they didn't copper fasten, where do you think they lost it in terms of the argument? Uh, I think I think the economic uncertainties are, are there. Uh, I think the political engagement from Westminster, the undertake, the, the powers that were offered, the the understanding that, uh, that, that that kind of bargaining that was going on between Edinburgh and London, if you like, by way of by way of those vows, I think people are willing to take people who saw it as too risky were willing to take. Take that, take that on board, and see how it works out. That means this is a conditional rejection. Uh, it seems to me, uh, if it's not delivered on, uh, the question gets reopened. Uh, Patty Smith, on the other hand, uh, we have heard that uh, this is it. The uh, certainly the better together side have said this has now decided it for a generation. Is it decided for a generation? Well, Alex Salmond has also said that, as far as he's concerned, it's probably decided for for a generation. I think. Um, it is. It's certainly you know you, the possibility of a referendum, another referendum within the next ten years is it's certain. Certainly, but but things change. Politics uh, have a way of throwing up all sorts of strange uh, uh, possibilities, and not least will be the argument which is yet to be resolved about whether Britain stays in in the European Union, and and that could have an effect. Uh, in Scotland, if Britain decides that it wants to, it, it wants to pull out. But I think, um, effectively, yes. The in the final days of the campaign, the leaders of the main, uh, the three main British uh, political parties, the Conservatives, the Labour Party, and the Liberal Democrats, made this pledge that they were going to devolve more powers to Scotland and that they were going to do it very fast by January. And they made various other pledges to do with the funding for uh, the, the Scottish governmental services as well. And a few minutes after we got the results this morning, David Cameron stepped outside 10 Downing Street and he promised not just to 
to fulfill that promise uh, within that timetable by January, but also to devolve more powers to England, Wales and to Northern Ireland, Paddy. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd just go back on on, on one issue because I think what Paul is right in saying that the, uh, the the character, in a way, of the campaign changed in the last few days. The referendum became not an argument about independence versus Westminster rule. It became an argument about independence versus home rule. And there was two forms of, of, of independence and the safer, easier option was, was, was home rule. Um, and certainly the interesting thing about Cameron's speech, I think, was the way in which it was couched really at the at his English audience. Uh, certainly, he said congratulations to the Scots uh, for voting uh, no. Uh, he he promised them that he would go ahead with their legislation. But then the, the meat of his of his speech was about how this meant a profound change in in, uh, in politics of the whole UK, but particularly England. He talked about Scotland and, and uh, Wales and Northern Ireland. You were getting the impression that he thought there might be marginal change, but that was all. But England would have to resolve what's called the West Lothian question, which is the right of uh, Scottish MPs to vote on on English legislation. Now, what he didn't say was how that would be resolved. Uh, There are a number of different ways, both within Westminster and in terms of perhaps setting up regional assemblies. That is is the battle ahead. What he did say, uh, and I think what was very significant, was they wanted the pace of English reform to be the same as Scottish reform. And that means sorting things out in such a way that there is legislation to go onto the books by the spring. A very, very tight time frame and one which pitches legislation like that ahead of the British general election. Paul Gillespie, the constitution uh, is effectively the rules of the game. Uh, Is it wise to uh, change the rules of the game in such a tight timetable? Probably not, because they haven't done sufficient preparation, Uh, certainly not in the Labour Party. I I don't think either in the Conservative Party. Uh, There's very elemental and and rather crude formulations of this taking the form uh, in the Labour Party of uh, uh, tinkering with with structures. Uh, They're they're afraid of losing a a UK majority. And in the uh, the Conservative Party, more uh, tinkering and much more than a tinkering with with a kind of ethnic nationalism. Uh, This needs to be worked through. Uh, it's, that timetable doesn't allow for a constitutional convention. It doesn't allow for the taboos on the debate about federalism in the UK uh, to be put aside and, and to be looked at much more rationally. For example, uh, what, what are they going to make the, the House of Lords an upper house? Uh, what about a Supreme Court? What about the formal recognition that sovereignty is shared, which is not there in the British Constitution? These need probably more time. The specific question uh, which he addressed is, as Paddy said, it's the West Lothian question. It's so-called because that question was, why should the MP for Blackburn and West Lothian be able to vote on English matters when the MP for Blackburn and Lancashire is not allowed to vote on Scottish matters? And what David Cameron is saying is, this must we must have English votes for English laws. Now, how can you actually get around that. What what does it mean? Does it mean effectively that if Labour wins a majority, that Labour's Scottish MPs won't be allowed to vote on the health service uh, as it applies in England? It, it could do. There was a Mackay Commission which looked at this, and they they uh, they reported uh, last year that uh, it, it was perfectly feasible to do English laws uh, for a day or, or, or two as necessary uh, during any week. And if you devolve health 
you, you, the, the issue becomes much more germane. Uh, and so some, but that could be an interim measure. It seems to me they could find a formula uh, after the election, or which would tide them over the election and commit themselves to a much more radical uh, reorganisation of the British political system. This is, of course, uh, you mentioned the election, and uh, Paddy, this uh, is also, it plays into electoral politics because uh, the uh, William Hague, who's going to be leading this uh, cabinet committee for uh, for David Cameron and looking at this question, he suggested that if people, uh, if, if the other parties can agree on this, then that's good. If they don't agree on their formula, then the people, he says, will be able to choose at the next election, which is uh, in May or June, when exactly you know, which side they want to go for. Yes, it's a delicious problem for, for Labour because Labour has at the moment got 40 seats in, in, in Scotland and the loss of those seats or those votes in Commons on, on critical votes would make it very, very difficult for Labour to run a government and and one wonders how it could be done. It can be, it can be resolved um, by by other means, by moving towards regional assemblies, for example, and and letting everybody in in Westminster vote on the issues that haven't been devolved out of of um, uh, Westminster. Uh, I'd say that that argument will be will be fiercely fought in the next in the next few weeks. Um, I, I think the other thing I wanted to say about about the the, the whole um, referendum is we mustn't forget the Scots in this discussion because, in a way, we've moved on to the effects which are very profound in England. But let's not lose sight of perspective on on this on Alex Salmond's achievement. Forty years of struggle for the SNP from a, a position where the SNP was. 30-35% would, would support uh, Scottish independence to a position where they nearly tipped the balance. And where what they did achieve was a, was a remar- remarkable settlement of extra powers on, on, uh, on Scotland. The sort of powers which would make it possible uh, to do many of the things which the Scots have been talking about in this, in this referendum. Uh, the big case for for Salmon and and particularly the other elements, the non-nationalist elements of the Yes campaign, was that we can't do things in Scotland because Westminster won't let us. We're always in a minority in Westminster. Well, the extra powers should mean that they can develop the sort of society which which Scotland and the Scots favour, and and that is a major. What kind of extra powers are we talking about? Well, actually, primarily, and and, and this is again, it, they haven't been spelt out. Um, but primarily, uh, the power to raise and, and vary tax um, gives. We're talking about income tax and not corporate tax. Uh, well, corporate tax is part of, possibly part of the deal. This is, this is not not uh, clear. Uh, the problem arises uh, in in uh, looking at the precise nature of that of that settlement because if you every penny you raise in Scotland is then taken away by Westminster from its block grant then effectively you know have no more power over the total sum of money that you that you have so it may be it may be a largely uh, uh, illusory uh, power uh, but competences uh, you know over 
health, health education are, are already in Scotland. There, there are elements of the law, but we will see a number of, of powers transferred to the Scottish Parliament, um, which which it uh, hasn't had up to now. Uh, Paul Gresby, as Paddy said, the uh, we've seen the the support for independence, which has for uh, for some time it, it was settled around thirty percent or thereabouts. Now they got forty five percent in this referendum. Is that solid? Is that a, a solid block of forty five percent of the Scots that are now in favour of being an independent country, as the as, as the question was posed? They they have to be con- convinced, and and I, they probably are open to being convinced. Depends how the political leadership is. Uh, conducted following the results, open to be convinced by the extra powers that Paddy's been talking about. Um, uh, but uh, as I said earlier, it's conditional on that delivery. And if if it's going to be delivered all around, if it gets complicated by the English politics, that much, much larger uh, entity, well, it may not be delivered, in which case... Uh, Salmon's whole record is is using one stage as a platform to argue for a further stage. So in that sense, I I don't see this as being settled yet. It will only be settled uh, basically by the achievement of some kind of federal UK system. I think that's still extremely difficult. And as these steps take place, whatever they are over the next few months, uh, Paddy was saying that uh, David Cameron, he said very little about Northern Ireland. He just uh, he mentioned Northern Ireland, but he said it's really about getting the, uh, the current devolved structures to work properly. Can we expect any of these changes to have a knock-on effect on Northern Ireland? Oh, yes, of course, if, if it's going to be balanced and, and equal. Uh, <laughs> the... the they would get extra powers, which means extra powers um, to disagree to disagree on. So a power-sharing formula plus extra powers is a recipe for uh, not necessarily for greater stability. I think that's all uh, up for negotiation. And, yeah. and, the, and the point is that Cameron is saying at the moment, well, I'm not particularly keen on, on that, uh, those extra powers. So what we'll, we'll see now is the Northern parties beginning to yeah. uh, agitate on the issue. And, and difficult questions being asked of them because some, sometimes extra powers means ex- extra responsibilities. And this could make uh, power sharing in, in the north of Ireland more difficult. But I think on balance, they will be looking for more powers. Official Ireland has been uh, remarkably, this is in this part of Ireland, has been remarkably quiet throughout this referendum campaign. How do you think they'll be feeling this morning, Paddy? I think probably quite relieved. Um, it certainly, uh, there, there were a number of, of considerations. Um, the uh, relationship between Dublin and London is, is, is very happy and comfortable at the moment. And if, if Dublin had, had expressed a view even privately on, on this issue, so it would certainly have soured relations. Uh, the uh, problems involved in the, the likelihood of, of British withdrawal from the, um, uh, from the European Union would seem to recede slightly, uh, which will be uh, a matter of, of some relief um, in, uh, in Dublin. And I think that the possibility of Scottish independence would probably have put injected some strange unknown dynamics into the north, which, again, would not make Dublin happy. Are they right to be relieved, Paul? Oh, probably yes. I, I agree with Paddy. This is the, this is their not Plan B, but it's 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 uh, it's for the moment they would they are they would also be gradualists in this. They they really see the need for more time, and they need the, to see the need for both governments to be more engaged in the north.
Finally, Paddy, this result uh, will have been watched in Europe, not just uh, from Brussels, uh, but also uh, in, uh, in many countries and regions of Europe. What impact is it going to have? Well, I'd say they'll be dancing in the streets of Madrid today. Uh, the Spanish government will be extremely relieved because the Catalans are knocking on the same door and are proposing what is now uh, an illegal referendum, but uh, they nevertheless seem to be going ahead on it. Uh, the Basques are asking similar questions, and uh, in Italy there, there are also there are also separative movements, perhaps less seriously. So uh, I think the in Brussels the, the prospect of how to deal with an independent Scotland, which would certainly have been readmitted to the European Union, but it was going to be quite complicated and involve very difficult political deals. Uh, so there will be relief in, in, in Brussels too. Patty Smith and Paul Gillespie, thank you. And that's all from this special edition from World, of Worldview from the Irish Times. We'll be reporting all day on irishtimes.com on the fallout from Scotland's referendum. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Gary White, and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.